0: Alright guys, welcome to the second edition of the Political Adventurous Podcast, I'm joined here uh, with my best friend in high school, he himself is uh, a little bit of an adventurist, so uh, before we begin, this is going to be a pretty long episode today because we got a lot to talk about, he's very interested in American politics and American history, uh, before we begin, just tell the people a little bit about yourself, man. Uh,
1: hello, my name is Max, um, from Staten Island, New York. And um, Cataldo here, oh wait, is, yeah, Cataldo here is a very close friend of mine, and uh, I was so excited and extremely supportive of this podcast, and I'm so glad that I can finally be here today. So
0: wonderful! I appreciate your enthusiasm. So you already said you were from Staten Island, and actually, before this podcast started, uh, you sent me a little outline of like a whole political manifesto you have kind of brewing in your noggin. So, uh, let's jump... More, ar- more of my
1: thoughts, general thoughts. Sure, yes.
0: yeah, just a collection of your thoughts, which I also I encourage. I really like that, you know, you're just jotting down your general, you know, takes on, you know, issues today. So, being that you said you were from Staten Island, you kind of opened up with that, let's go right into your drug policy, because I know you've written things in, obviously, public speaking being the first class that comes to mind about the like the opioid issue in the area. So just tell us a little bit about your stance on that, some programs, some different solutions we can you know implement as a country. So go ahead.
1: Um to start, I have to come out and say that I believe that drugs can be used in many different ways. Now, emphasis on drugs because as of right now, for the most part, in big pharma especially, they are using opioids in um, in medicine. Now, there are new studies, and there are in fact older studies. I say that you know the use of marijuana, and in fact, the use of psychedelics in some to treat PTSD and other mental illnesses have been you know shown to be extremely effective. Now. In Staten Island, we have one of the worst cases of opioid addiction and overdosing in the United States. Now from, I believe, 2007, that number has gone drastically down, and you know we are to uh, thank the policies that have been implemented, but we as a nation, and primarily I believe that we should start down and we should go work up, but we should all come together and realize that there has to be other forms of medicine. Because right now, Staten Island is not the only region in the United States that is constantly fighting with Big Pharma, and it's chokehold on local, state, and federal government. So, truthfully, as of right now, I don't have much to say on the policy that needs to be you know, taken, and action needs to be taken, but we have to put research and we have to open our eyes to other forms of medicine the eastern be it other forms of drugs but we should not be uh, close-minded and you know we should most definitely branch our um, medical expertise into new fields
0: so you know obviously the uh, kind of flashing line for me here is obviously medicinal marijuana I think it's a very good example of this and you know we have like a very authoritarian, or conservative traditionalist base that is very opposed to the implementation of marijuana simply because of the connotation that it has, but me personally being i kind of li- lean a little bit like libertarian right slightly um, i kind of I support this idea, I totally think you know even in recreational uses, even in medical uses, there are studies that have proved that CBD you know tablets and things like that and supplements can help with the overall functionings of the body. So, I mean, if you, if you know anything on that, because that's a very specific example that I know, you know, if you know anything about that, you know, you can go ahead and tell me what you know about I
1: have, that. I have a very um, freedom-based approach to any substance. Now, to look at it in the most basic sense, right, it does not matter what a human being is addicted to. Right In the United States, alcoholism is an issue, right? We tried banning alcohol, it didn't work, right? You know, you can't necessarily stop the full banning of something, the, prohibi- the prohibition of a particular substance and expect it to work, right? It should not matter what that substance is. Of course it should be controlled and there should be rules set by it, but when you ban any substance, be it marijuana, be it, you know, any in psychedelics. I want emphasis on the psychedelics because I um, personally read up on how beneficial it is, and how you know, as a society, we look down upon it severely, right? If used properly, all of these things can be extremely beneficial. But when you create laws that are outlawing them entirely, you create black markets and you create underground demand for it, which is extremely dangerous, and it's you know. In the financial way, it's a lost revenue stream. really? If you look at, for example, Colorado, they legalized marijuana, both recreation and, the and they got a huge revenue stream from it that really did help the state. So we should definitely be looking to as a society destigmatize the idea of usage in general, but we should of course, um, you know, be mature about it and not say, you know, let's take drugs all over the place and, you know, let's so be it, but we should understand that there are certain things that might not be as bad as they seem, just because laws that were in place fifty years ago or place fifty years ago does not mean that they represent you know, any scientific backing.
0: So I think what we're getting at here, I, I like how you mentioned prohibition because there's such a relevant example of prohibition prohibition today or a relevant, I guess you could say, connotation of prohibition today with uh, obviously the substances that you mentioned but also if we look at you know what happened during prohibition you have bootlegging you have these illegal activities that you mentioned and then you have the formation of the ku klux klan and that you know is huge today if we talk about you know society today gearing towards what we think of certain races and ethnicities the ku klux klans Terrible impact on the country has a lot to say about you know race tensions and things like that So there could be like unintended consequences for things such as that. So I think in this point We've basically identified that you're pretty libertarian am I correct to assume that in this in this movie?
1: I've been all over the fucking place so where I am or what like what I identify with and you know I'll be truthful, you know I want four years ago. I was like I'm a hard-ass conservative, but then you know you really see perspectives of other people and then you really see that not everything is one-sided and I think that is a huge problem in today's uh, political discussion that everybody likes to see things from one side, even two sides there are sometimes like 10 sides, 12 sides like an infinite amount of sides to, to a particular problem and it's very difficult to just say this is right and this is wrong no there are other factors at play that you know one may be able to identify and one might not be able to and the best way that we can identify all of those factors and all of those sides is by asking the perspectives of as many people as possible much like a scientific study
0: i think i think that's a very respectable approach and that's something again that i said in the last podcast that's something i'm personally trying to encourage i think You know this conversation can lead into many other things which it's going to later in the episode like political parties and if they're helping with this thoughtful discussion which we will get into uh, and things like that so I totally respect that point of view and that's a major reason why I have you on the podcast because I know you as someone who is not afraid to be disagreed with as so many Americans now are afraid of being disagreed with and having their viewpoints shut down and this obviously stunts growth so now that we've gotten that point across Obviously I want to lead right into the political party discussion. You said right in your outline, smack dab in the middle, that political parties are clearly not I'm for the it up. To, yeah. Alright, so go for it. So political parties are not representative of what's good for the country. Obviously not exactly what you said, but the gist of what you said. So elaborate more on that point and I'll kind of rebound off of it. So go well,
1: for it. Well I'm currently writing this piece and basically going to just explain this is like the very first part because if as a society and as a nation we are to develop at all with our like intellectually politically even economically we have to be able to be open to new ideas and currently the way it works right now is that you have two by the end of the bosses you have the Republican Party and you have the Democrat Party you have all those little subdivisions beneath them you know the green part the progressives and libertarians but in reality they have no influence on anything basically now below those bosses you have the uh, monopolies you have the multi-billionaires and other influential figures that are constantly nagging in congress senate and, and in the white house as well so the first Issue with the current political system that we have is the age barrier, right? You have people like you and me who are 18 years old, fresh to vote, right? And we have fresh, new ideas that you know will probably never be even talked about on the floor of Congress, mainly because the the, the average age of congressmen. I actually wrote it down. In the 115th Congress, the average age of a member of Congress a member in Congress is 57.8 years old and if I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken the average age of a person in Senate is 63 now you tell me how can you possibly have people who are almost three times our age represent our viewpoints and it's not just me as an 18 year old it can be anyone like, from 30 years old right? the twice their age. Hard-working people that make up you know the bulk of who make the money in this country? You can't say that those people can possibly identify with what we value. Next is the wealth barrier. You know, uh, this is a problem that's slightly you know been alleviated over the past um, couple decades, but the average person, uh, the congressman or senator, that you know runs have, they have to be extremely wealthy to like if they want to go by themselves with their own ideas in mind but if they aren't that wealthy they have to go and scrounge money from corporations and monopolies and these yeah, lobbyists to, like yeah you know that say listen you know what we like what you're going with but we'll tweak a little bit here we'll tweak a little bit there and by the time that, that senator comes into his seat he is not the same person that the original voter asked for and they voted for Right, And there's also the political opportunity barrier, where, you know, if you are not in a particular class of people, there's a statistically higher chance that you're just not going to end up in any sort of politics. Now, this of course exempts from local government, of course, but even then in local government, you know, the wealthier, the classier you are, the higher chance you have of being in office, which truthfully, I find bizarre because there are a lot of stupid rich people that just got their money from, you know their parents sometimes or just a family fortune. Now this is not to say that wealthy people should not be able to rule you know any piece of land that's not true. They might be very intelligent people but what I am saying is that there a lot of times very intelligent very smart and very capable people of managing you know local, state or even federal level government that just are completely silenced because they just don't have the opportunity to speak ideas to the general class
0: i think to add on to your point i think that's really what's happening i think especially with the democrat party because if you look at joe biden and kamala harris whose platforms have changed substantially to try to attract a large number of voters it starts to beg the question if they can really and truly which i personally doubt if they can really and truly support and obviously move forward with their promises to the large amount of groups that they've made. You have environmentalists, you have socialists, you have moderate Democrats, things like that. Yeah, you have something to say something. I'll
1: interrupt you and say that actually, I think that the Democrats is in the opposite. They're actually employing, the, like, they have a lot newer uh, people in office. One person that is currently uh, in office that I personally don't agree with, but that's just me and everybody has their own opinions, is AOC. Very young, she came as a waitress, you know, and all, whatever her qualifications for the office may be, I'm very happy that she is in office because it is a good reminder to the American population that you know what you don't have to be of elite class to go into the into Congress. I think Senate.
0: I think that's a good point, but I think it it points to what I'm saying that AOC, who is proposing a Green New Deal, which is considered pretty far left, and Bernie Talk Sanders. About- we should talk about the Green New Deal. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get more into that as we proceed to, you know, welfare and things like that, more economic things. But, you know, when you consider people like AOC and Bernie Sanders versus people like Joe Biden, it shows that they're stretching across a very wide political axis here. You know, Bernie Sanders supports, obviously he tried to pass, or I think he may have passed or intends to pass, a huge tax bill that affects the top 1% hugely, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, everyone, no matter what political super PAC they support, and you know, that it, it ties in perfectly because that's why he's not going to win the Democrat Party, unfortunately, because of this, just let me finish my point, he won, he had more popular votes than Hillary in the 2016 nomination, why did he win, though? The nomination...
1: subject to fraud. But,
0: I think it was very, I, I don't know, I, I think... It- he should have won. I
1: honestly. I think
0: believing. he should, and I think he would have had a very strong chance of being Trump, which isn't an uncommon opinion. But if you think about it like this, Sanders' policies directly threaten the top and elite, the people that are controlling the flow of money to the, you know, the party conventions and the debates and things like that. So obviously, a... he he is basically a socialist. He has socialist policies. So, I think when you consider that, and then you consider everyone who the Democrat Party is appealing to, and then you consider the relatively, relatively small base that the Republican Party is appealing to, they're appealing to conservatives, the traditional re- religious household, which is in that group, and they're appealing to capitalists and, like, civil libertarians, in that they don't...
1: Uh, I would have to disagree. Okay. The Republican Party, you know, however... I don't want to say however emboldened it is in the news, they do support far-right groups. And I'm not saying they directly support them, because they don't, but they are more than happy to work with them. Now I don't blame the Republican Party for doing it, because obviously the more supporters you have, however covert it is, the better for its, you know, the system that it works with.
0: Arguably I disagree with that. You're right.
1: You you're you're right, in the sense that yes, these two parties are constantly adopting more and more into their faction, and eventually it's just gonna break because it's not strong enough of a platform.
0: That leads right Exactly, that leads right into selector theory I mentioned on the last one.
1: Luckily, the Republican Party has a platform that, you know, it kind of supports the needs of the far right. Not necessarily all the way far right, but the moderate right and even centrist, moderate centrist, because they, you know, developed from the original constitution. As because the left, they deviates from the constitution as much as possible constantly, and that creates um, gr- more sparse groups of what level are we willing to deviate from it? Meanwhile, in Republicans, for the most part, they're trying to keep it together, and that's why they're able to have a stronger platform. But that is not to say that they don't have very, uh, very, like, range, a huge range of different types of right people.
0: I think that I I will not dispute the fact that the Republican Party has definitely a a clear range of supporters, but I think that inherently, and this is clearly evidenced by Biden, who is leading the Democrat Party right now, changing his policy. He's a little, I have like five sources that state that he fluctuated on his fracking policy. And AOC herself and bernie sanders have criticized biden on that policy i don't obviously there are you know you have the the lincoln campaign or something like that where it's republicans against trump but i don't see it to that degree i don't see that degree of a policy shift that you see with the with the left side and and when it transitions into selectorate theory which i've told you about before and i said in the last podcast that you need to that Political theorists have commonly agreed on the selectorate theory that you need to have a concentrated base to funnel the private goods to, otherwise you're trying to appeal to too many people. So while Joe Biden has a shot of winning this election, he's going to have to appeal to a lot of people and will lose direct power in the process. You think of like China, for example, in the warlord period, they had to appeal to a lot of different warlords and then they broke up because they couldn't handle themselves tightly. So it's a loose... What happened? Yeah.
1: Wasn't a strong enough infrastructure. Exactly.
0: Yeah. It wasn't yet. Yeah. So and you think about the Mongol Empire too, things like that. So it's just there there are too many commitments that are loosely thrown around. So I think that's a good point. You mentioned the Green New Deal. So let's talk about the Green New Deal. What are your thoughts on it as far as what you've heard? Obviously this is kind of like an old topic but transitions nicely. What do you think of the Green New Deal?
1: I cherish the environment. I cherish it. I think that is the one gift that all humans are given. Now, you know, me, I actively try to be as clean as human, humanly possible. I never litter. I never litter. I will actively pick up litter <laughs> off the floor, put it in my pocket, and throw it away in another garbage can. I I hate out. it when people litter, right? I try to use as less, less plastic as possible. I don't have a single plastic bottle in my room. I have my trusty jug of water, <laughs> right?
0: Shout-out to Britta.
1: Shout-out to uh, Mason Jars, but but what the Green New Deal proposed is just so bonkers, like actually bonkers. And the reason is, is that a lot of people say, oh, the Green New Deal, it's going to fix the environment, but a lot of people don't realize that when this thing was passed, there was a lot of other shit that was put into it. That was like kind of like you know swept under the rug. The kind, mm-hmm. yeah. Here is here is the uh, the main thing. We're gonna make solar plants and we're gonna make windmills, but also wait wait wait. Here we're gonna tax like a, the absorbing amount of money from everyone else. But there's a lot of things that are swept under the rug that you have to thoroughly read it in order to be like, yeah, this is not exactly what it seems. But also um, kind of annoys me about the um, Green New Deal is that they don't talk about nuclear.
0: Exactly, that's a very good point. Go don't
1: on. Nuclear at all. Now, trust me, uh, I love history, and I know that Chernobyl was like a terrible thing. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't get me wrong; it's horrible, and what happened in Tokyo was also terrible. But how efficient did they work, and how clean they are, right? You can the ratio of how expensive it is to run and how much energy output and how clean it is, is uncomparable to windmills where vastly inefficient and kill like millions of birds, you know, a year around the world. And you have solar panels, which are also expensive and they take up a large amount of space and are like, again, not as efficient as uh, nuclear energy. And the biggest argument that I had with uh, one person who didn't know what they were talking about was that, oh, what are we gonna do with all the nuclear waste that, you know, you know, comes out of it. I'm like, you are aware that we shoot shit into space all the time. We pollute like, our well. The right? And there's literally a rocket now that shoots shit up and comes back <laughs> down. And you're telling me you can't shoot like uh, 500 pounds of nuclear waste in one go? Like, are you serious? Are you serious? And then they say, but it's dangerous. It can erupt. True. But so if you're going to compare it to Chernobyl, it's been like almost 50 years
0: and there's still 50
1: You're going to tell me that there's no safety advancements since, and you're also not going to tell me that the safety procedures that were implemented in Soviet Russia are the same as the safety procedures that are implemented in the United States. You cannot tell me this at all. And I think that it has a lot to do with people's like stigma towards nuclear energy, I guess, or It might be... I honestly don't know what the reason is. I honestly don't know what the reason is. And I would love for someone to educate me on why it is. I
0: I can't give you a straight answer, honestly, because I think, you know, you you look at, like, PragerU, for example, you have people, you know, like Will Witt, I know, off the top of my head, I saw a quick clip of it. He supports the concept of nuclear energy. The only... I'm not using PragerU as a source, by the way. I don't want to be associated with PragerU. Dennis Prager Prager (laughs) and his... (laughs) But um, uh, <laughs> but I think it's time, and I totally agree with that point. That nuclear energy is clearly needs to be what we're working towards to replace fossil fuels. But the issue that I have with modern environmental programs and mentality is that I feel like it's produce it's it's suggesting a rapid change of 85 percent of the country's factories which work on fossil fuels. This needs to be a very gradual change that takes place over decades with more research co- going into the safety of Massively changing the energy source of the, of the country. So, Do you know
1: yeah. why we still use oil? Entertain me. Right? You had a theory that was floating around, and I'm probably most, most definitely true to some degree. Okay. If we were to abandon oil, right, petroleum, overnight, which, mind you, is very possible, right? You can use corn oil in a motor if you really want to. If you modify the engine, I feel property, like I know where this is going. you oil, corn, or like anything that produces oil, canola, corn, anything, you can use it in an engine. If you do that overnight, the Middle East will yep. erupt. Erupt. Yep. And it will also erupt Russia, because their, expo- their entire economy, for the most part, is based off of natural uh, gas yep. and oil exports and as soon as they realize that they have basically nothing their economy will go through the shitter and they will want to definitely start a war over resources or something i or think just over their economy i don't know what it is but when people propose that we have to move towards another form of energy overnight it's not because we can not because we most definitely can it's that we would have to convince the entire world to switch over it and they would have to sacrifice their economies for it are people willing to do that are governments willing to do that i don't know most probably not because who would and you know it's it's a lot harder to fabricate another form of income overnight Mm -hmm. but that is my reason that is my final like go-to
0: honestly you know if you if you looked at that reason like two thousand and five and two thousand and six, it'd be dismissed quickly as a conspiracy theory. oh, but definitely. at this point in this current in this current day and age, I think there's substantial truth to that theory. I think definitely, when you look at our campaigns in the Middle East, for example, what happened in Iraq, you know new no nuclear weapons were found when we entered Iraq the second time, so you know I feel like you know it could have been very well an oil campaign, which is you know what's considered so, you know I, I that's actually a very interesting line of reason that I haven't really considered. When I mean, you talk about yeah, go on.
1: Also, another thing with cars, right? Right? Lithium batteries are so ridiculously environmentally not friendly. If you've ever looked, let me let me pull one up. Let me pull up a, a picture of a lithium mine. <laughs> You're actually gonna like. You're going to be shocked, you're going to be like, wait,
0: lithium mine. And you know, you consider that China is the number one exporter of transport cars, so think about how this would hit their economy. Share my screen. Okay, so you see these mines? Yeah. You're going to tell
1: me that that's environmentally friendly, like, at all? People say, oh, if we drive the electric cars, we're saving the environment. I don't know about that when you have holes like that you know look like that you're not gonna tell me that's that, a fair that environmentally friendly at all that's now funniest thing i have a neighbor over here whose father worked with wall street now there was this brand new idea and it's actually something that's still around today but just no one talks about it it's when you use nuclear like fusion in a car so you know how water is made Mm-hmm. Two molecules in water mm-hmm. obviously
0: the, the two molecules in water you said
1: so the two types.
0: Hydrogen and oxygen.
1: oxygen and hydrogen. Right. hydrogen and oxygen. Yeah. Now, when you put them together, the it creates energy. Mm-hmm. Energy can be used. Now, there are engines that take... Um, so, oxygen is all around us, and hydrogen is the most readily available element in the universe. Right. If you put those two together, you get energy, and what is your output? Your water. Well, it's water. It's just water. There are literally cars that take oxygen, hydrogen, and they spit out water. That's it. There is no, there's no other um, Mode. Output of that There's no other uh, like uh, pollution that comes from it. But nobody talks about it. There are so many innovations Chemistry. That happened. so many like years ago there's nobody talks about because there are monopolies that are hindering it and there are again entire governments that rely on export of natural uh, fossil fuels there are, you can't do this stuff overnight and let alone trying to convince the entire united states that yeah we don't need these like you know industries The coal industry, we'll just throw it away. The oil industry, we'll just throw it away. No, you can't do that because that employs millions of people. Mm -hmm. You can't possibly say to me or to any normal family out in the middle of the United States, like, yeah, we're going to abandon your job and, you know, just bye bye I don't, because, you know, environment is important. It's most definitely important. But there has to be uh, some sort of alternate solution for these people that have done this their entire lives. I think As you, hit, you said before, it should be gradual. It should be gradual.
0: I think you hit all the points.
1: Bonkers. Bonkers. It's just, it will not work, and our economy will actually collapse overnight. I, I, t-
0: I think you hit all of the points on the head. Economically speaking, you know, politically, diplomatically speaking, I think you really hit all the points on the head there. I gotta, I gotta say, I don't really find any, personally, any logical flaws in that, but obviously, you know, the comment section and you know, my DMs. Water. Another thing. Go
1: on. Water. We don't have water. Bro, how how can you tell me that we don't have water? We have the air. Again, we have oxygen and hydrogen. We can make water. We can make water. There's a guy, I believe, out in Flint, Michigan. They made those boxes, the, bl- the black boxes that makes water for, like, basically pennies. Mm-hmm. But nobody talks about that. But they say, whoa, whoa, you can't, you can you know, water. We don't have water. We have an ocean. We have seventy-five percent of the planet is made of. We have an ocean, as Joe Rogan said. It's like we don't have a water problem; we have a salt problem.
0: Yeah, that's a good um,
1: point. Many of these environmentalist things, they have no like actual problem. There's no. There's a sort of those. If they have a problem, there's already a solution. It's just that it's very difficult to. Hear.
0: I honestly I gotta agree with everything you're saying. It's gonna have to be a long-term type of thing. Gonna have to be gradual, and there's gonna have to be political sacrifice made. And and that's the issue right now is that, you know, countries like China that are in the Paris Climate Accord, uh, Climate Accord, are not making the sacrifices that other countries in the Accord are. Like for example, when the U.S. left the Paris Climate Accord, it was seen as a departure from U.S. environmentalism. No, it wasn't it was clearly us making a fool out of ourselves by still being an agreement that wasn't being upheld by all of its members so Not
1: everyone else. yep un- I'm
0: entirely agree. unfortunately though what you're saying is very correct and very true and I can't really disagree with it but it's also very naive because you have to consider again there's so much power and, and oh, economic
1: there is so much money flowing through this like if you even touch it you'll burn your hand exactly he'll it'll, take you with
0: you and if, if we could relate this back to what you said earlier a lot of the points that are discussed by just simple people you know practicing decency in political conversation are just not going to make it to the floor of Congress oh,
1: they'll never, they'll never, they'll never, never. say it like yeah very possible but no,
0: no. so I, I, I want to I think we've touched on this seg- subject beautifully I want to transition into the welfare segment I know you have quite a bit to say about that that could lead into you know racial theories Sorry. and things like that of course, yeah. So um, I wanted to talk more about your welfare position. I know quite a few bullet points on the outline that you mentioned as well. So just give your general take on, you know, the state of welfare in the country right now, who deserves, who doesn't, et cetera, et cetera. Go for it.
1: Well, to start. I'm gonna ask you a question. Go Is, for it. What do you think the purpose of welfare should serve?
0: I think that the purpose of welfare should act as a grander safety net. I don't think it should be something that you make a living off of, as it should not be treated that way. I think it's for people that are, um, obviously you have different, you know, social programs like social security that act should act for a similar reason. I don't think it should be the backbone of a family. I think it should be to build experience, and I think it should be something To go off of and build up on. I don't think it's something that should be given to people who don't deserve it for example so I think it's something that should stay pretty minimal but also substantiate a safety net if that makes sense.
1: My second question to you, what form do you think welfare should take?
0: What form? Meaning like money or I'm confused on the question? That's
1: That's my question to you. What
0: form should welfare take? I mean I would assume money would it not? Why, why would it not I'm okay I'm a little confused I I,
1: I have been thinking and you know I see, if you look at the numbers the current welfare system that is in the United States is extremely flawed and does not work efficiently because the point of welfare as you said is to provide a safety net and it's supposed to build back you know families that are necessarily needy and you know they need something in a time of crisis and as any developed first world country yes we should all have welfare because you know our country would fall apart if we didn't have it now the second question becomes what form should it take you say monetary it should come in the form of a dollar delivered to the person next door I believe they should take the form of opportunity.
0: I feel like you were going to say that, I knew you were going to say that. Okay, go on, I like this point, go on.
1: Welfare, welfare, as it currently stands, destroys families. Now, there was a study done where a woman, a mother, sorry, mother of two, will receive more in welfare benefits, state and federal combined, than if she was married, and that has still the kid, two kids. What does that do? It creates a financial incentive for there to be uh, single parents in the United States, and when you have single parents, you look at it. You look at you know the outcome of the you know final result of the children that are raised by single parents. They statistically do not ex- excel in school as much as kids with pa- both parents or two parents. Um, they do not um, make as much money overall, and they're less successful. So in the grand scheme of things welfare is really hurting the next generations you know and a lot of people you know even in music they talk about how you know welfare it destroys family and it doesn't hurt necessarily you but it'll hurt the next generation and the generations after that you know when you have people that are dependent on a system and it should not be that the like, the Welfare systems should provide opportunity for people to work their way back into a livable, you know, situation, not, you know, scrounge around for pennies and dollars and food stamps, you know, trying to like survive, right? And when I see, when I see, you know, especially Democrats, when they say, "Oh, look at," uh, I want to actually bring up AOC on this one. She's like, "Oh, what am I supposed to do?" You know, when. Uh, my, uh, is it the, the term is a constituents, It's a big demographic. Is it contest constituent A constituent
0: is like a supporter. Yeah, so go on.
1: Constituents uh, are desperately relying on welfare and food stamps. I'm like, they shouldn't rely on that. And on top of that, she was the one that pushed Amazon out of New York, which could have provided thousands of jobs.
0: That is very interesting. I, point.
1: My view, way it currently stands. Welfare is being used by the government to manipulate voters into voting for the party that develops welfare more and more, creating this endless loop of people relying on it and people being dependent on it. Welfare, in reality, should be money that is you know, not given out, but it is invested into local community leaders that can build businesses that can, even if you work with mega corporations, fuck it, if you work with Amazon and you say, listen, we'll give you this amount of money or we'll cut your taxes in this amount of time or this, you know, this area, but, but you must employ the people in this area and you must pay them, you know, some amount of money, you know, you can work that out later, but the point of it should not be to, you know, ignore it. You know, throwing money at the problem never solves it. It's creating a foundation with that money that will, you know, as a whole, develop the community, society, city, the state, and then the entire country.
0: You know, conceptually speaking, that's the response to the argument that I've heard from a lot of people who don't agree with the current state of welfare, that it should come into lower taxes for bigger businesses, but the mandation of investing back into the U.S. economy somehow. You have people like Carnegie. You have people like Ford who were very adamant and very, you know, obsessed with them. These these are examples that you've actually told me about in Retro Fitness that, um, you know, (laughs) Ford was very adamant about paying his workers highly so that they could invest back into the company. Carnegie was a devoted uh, philanthropist. You know, I actually fundamentally agree with that system, but I feel like that's, again, a little bit susceptible to corruption, because any company can lie about its figures to the government, the IRS, any company can find loopholes.
1: It's very difficult to lie to the IRS. I
0: think when you direct...
1: Very, very difficult to lie to the IRS in a in the long term, because the thing is, an IRS has the slightest sense. Of corruption, of not pay taxes, they will come after your ass, and they will destroy you and whatever business you have. It doesn't matter how big or small that business is, right? There are obviously loopholes. I mean, there's most definitely, you know, ways to go around it. So, again, instead of fighting with companies I and mean, instead of fighting with businesses, you should work with them. You know what? Especially in this day and age, right? If you were talking about this uh, situation. 100 years ago right? The the, the discussion we'd be having right now would be a little bit different If you were to say, listen, business owner A I'm going to tax you this amount You'd be like, alright, most I can do is go to another city Or go to another state or, you know, go across the country Maybe Canada, maybe Mexico, whatever In this day and age, you can move an entire corporation overseas almost overnight Overnight, you close down all your businesses here and you move them somewhere else where it's more beneficial for you to stay there. And as long as we have at least one capitalist country in this world, that is how it's going to be that people are going to move their businesses to where it's more affordable for them to be. And you know, obviously, there's safety and political stability that goes with it. But financially, people are going to move their businesses overnight. So when I see people that are like, you know, tax the rich, eat the rich, like, okay fantastic you're just going to delete your primary source of revenue for all your social programs that you love so much like you can't do that you have to work with them of course you should put them on a leash don't let them you know control the government by no means but you have to work with them to both better their own corporation business and to benefit the people that they are one employing and that two those people are buying from and it supports the system with a, some level of autarky, where the idea is not you shouldn't be hurting your own country. It should be, you know, a meaner way of saying hurting everyone else. You shouldn't be exploiting yourself, because then you have no foundation to stand.
0: I think that's a very agreeable point. I think that's very similar. Obviously, there's a, a, a distinct difference with it, but I think that's very similar to trickle down economics. But trickle down economics is mainly the theory that the money will naturally. Come down from the top, but I don't feel like you think money,
1: that money will never naturally come down, right? So that's so money the theory the that will naturally come down, but trickle down economics will not work, especially in this day and age. Absolutely not. People are terrified of losing everything that they have, they'll never, they'll so never the come down. The theory <laughs> that you're saying
0: that wait, let me just the theory that you're saying is it's kind of more of a a government power to the trickle down that the money forcibly or not forcibly but mostly trickles down from the top in order to reinvest back to the I don't, economy. I don't
1: want to say that it even trickles down it's like a cuz it doesn't necessarily trickle down it it you're, you're building you're building you're rebuilding society you're taking money from the government I mean yeah, from the businesses and you're just reinvesting it back into the community but the money will go back to the company by the end of it but when you're doing that, you have a population that has food on the table, that have a stable job and that are able to not rely on anyone but themselves.
0: Okay, I think Again,
1: that's heavy emphasis on the point that when you fuck with mega companies, right? They will move their business immediately. They don't they don't have anything stopping them. Now, even in Trump, when they say, "Oh, I'm going to forcibly bring them back," like, no, you can't forcibly bring anyone back. You mm-hmm. have to give them incentive, like any normal human being. Like, you know, like I'd rather do business in New Jersey than do business in New York City because the taxes are different. You know, this a line. It's a, it's a fake line in the earth, but I'd rather do one place there
0: than in the other. Okay, I think that's an interesting point. I'm still going to fundamentally sit with the fact that I don't trust corporations and I'm not comfortable with the government mandating that businesses uh, reinvest back into the US economy by creating more jobs I don't trust that relationship I don't think that relationship is going to be stable I think business owners are going to look to the government and publish things and create this picture of the government as a more authoritarian thing so which is why I'm going I want to personally stick with a direct transfer of from the government to the people of direct monetary value that's how i think it's the most secure way of getting the money to people that need it so i like that idea
1: that's the current, that's the current welfare system i know
0: but i think it should be reformed to where specific more way more factors come into pro- play than if you're making under a certain amount job availabilities in the region so specific people that creates more jobs inherently job availability in the region Respective records and things like that. There should be way more factors into determining who gets that paycheck from the government. If it gets handed,
1: again, once you start debating on who gets the paycheck, everybody's going to want that paycheck. The paycheck should not. It should. There should be no paycheck. It should be financial incentive for companies to move back. Let it be less taxes. Right? You'll say, listen, let's work a deal out. Well, I'm saying with me- mega but I want to say a big emphasis on Amazon. Right? Work with Amazon. Say, listen, we'll cut your taxes to the point where you cannot be competing anywhere in the United States. But you have to provide jobs for these people. Because if not, then we're just going to you know, abysmally tax you. And that's not, it's very easy to fix. We can, it's very easy to go back to the system that we have right now. But I'm, what I'm saying is that we have to try it out. That... You know, you have to work with the you know the people who are making money because the government does not make money. The government spends money. The government spends an abysmal amount of money, and we are in a ridiculous amount of debt. And if we keep going down the route that we're going, we will literally we default. I
0: still I still don't trust fundamentally trust the the businesses inherently to trickle the money down like that. I feel like some loopholes will be made, and I feel like the government will be painted. Oh,
1: but it has to be lucrative for both ends. Once an agreement that comes with them, where it will be lucrative for both businesses and for the government to, you know, satisfy the needs of the people. I think that it will be an extremely beneficial relationship. Because, one, you'll have a population that works or have a need to work again, right, or even just given a job, whatever you want to call it. Then you have businesses that are receiving labor, and they're able to export it to more people because they are people who are working. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, you have a government that's happy because its people are employed, which tends to come with less crime, and then you have, uh, you know, a happy population. There's, like, obviously, I'm, I'm 18 years old. There's definitely something that's only to come before, but I'm saying that right now, we have an extremely flawed system. And I've been thinking about this thing for like the past, I don't want like two years now, that there has to be an alternative to what we currently have. And as of right now, I don't see anyone proposing anything that drastically different that will really solve the welfare crisis that we have. It, it is a crisis.
0: I still, I, I'm, I, I completely understand the point that you're, you're, uh, reinforcing that it's, it's not really so much of a mandation, rather just an incentive and just a profit-based thing. But I still believe. That with the corporations that we see today like Walmart this is a little bit of a pessimistic viewpoint but it's kind of realistic that these corporations will find ways to abuse the the lack of taxes that they are getting and in return as you said if they are will be abysmally taxed as punishment they will simply pack up their business and leave and go somewhere else which hurts us as a profit so I still I still directly think that a direct link a linkage institution like you can see this is an example of from the government to people that deserve it based on very specific credentials very specific credentials i think that is the most secure way to ensure our lowest base
1: by the way this is not to say that um people with disabilities don't deserve monetary gain absolutely not because there are some people who are unable to work right even this day and age you know you have people who like sit on a computer and work anyway but i'm saying Mentally disabled, physically disabled—if people who cannot work—and this has to be strictly evaluated, mind you. If they cannot work, then most definitely the government should support them. But that is a very small percentage of people who, you know, use welfare. This is again going towards people who just barely have enough money to put food on the table because they're working jobs that don't pay for it. Because you know, it's always odd jobs in the United States. A lot of people are employed by side gigs and things that are off the books because taxes are so heavy, right? People don't have an incentive to work, you know, legally even, because there is no, because they know that if they write down what they're making, they're going to lose almost half of it.
0: That's true. Who That's would a... do that? Well, I no saw... one's going
1: to And then businesses will leave. I mean, listen, you can do whatever. But I'm just saying what the numbers are and what the result is.
0: I, I think what you're describing is already social security though. when you're giving money directly to people who are disabled inherently, obviously there should be more there should be stronger checks on that anyone above the age of 65 already gets a paycheck, and I still think... That that would be the safest way to translate that to everyone who it who needs that money. I think the incentive should be that hey, listen, you're not getting a lot of money to live on, which is why you should invest it back into U.S. economy and find a job, put your resume out I, there. So my I, question to is this: Okay,
1: what is easier to do? Is it easier to work with, we'll say, a hundred corporations, or is it easier to work with three hundred and thirty million people?
0: I mean, that's, uh, that's that's honestly a tricky situation for me, because corporations have Are huge... Are you really
1: going to try to educate 330 million people on what to do with their it's money? It's
0: obviously not realistic that I'm going to be able to substantially educate them, but the whole point is that it is inherently an incentive. It's not a, a, a The whole point of, of money being directly given to the people is that it is an incentive to go out and find a job and make more money. This is a baseline for you to pay for basic, pretty basic needs that you need to survive. You go out and do the work. I don't think it should be forced upon the businesses to supply these people who are just not simply willing to work. I think well, it should no, be- No,
1: it's not necessarily- you're not forcing any business. You're, 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 you're doing a trade-off. You're doing less taxes, and in return for supporting the people around you, which also benefits the companies.
0: I think it it's is naive quite
1: literally win-win.
0: I, I like okay, I like the sound of that, but I still fundamentally believe it's naive, and I still fundamentally believe, fundamentally believe that there will be loopholes found in, in the lower taxes. I just fundamentally. The now. I think no, I I agree with that, but I I think that in the time that we have now, in these times, I think if you have more. You know, up-and-coming businesses, like again with the Ford and Carnegie mindset, but then I feel like that system could work because those businesses would legitimately invest back into the economy. But when you have people like Bezos, who, as as we've seen, are are not using the the money that they're granted out, they pay very low state level and federal level taxes, are not using that money to of invest back. Because they're and taxed they're, they're not supposed to be taxed at like fifty percent. They're not. Well, they're not. Their working conditions are terrible as well. The working conditions,
1: yes, I agree with you. And again,
0: the U.S. government is giving tax exemptions because Amazon is an international business. Correct. So that means that the incentive that they're giving, lower taxes, to invest back into the U.S. economy by creating more jobs is not working. It's clearly not. So that's my argument. That's my main example for that. I think, again... I think your idea is very fundamentally sound, but I think... Okay.
1: Because the way... I agree with you. Yes, there are most definitely loopholes, and Jeff Bezos is a fantastic example of that. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem becomes they're going to leave, right? They will leave, and let's take a huge amount of revenue with them. We're living in an age where it's not dominated by small business. We're dominated in an age by people who have ridiculously powerful and influential businesses. And if they take their powerfully influential businesses to Vietnam, take it to China, we'll lose it.
0: I'm not proposing that's... increased taxes though.
1: Alright. I'm just... if you want to ban exporting our businesses to other countries, you can try doing that. But uh, oh, they're gonna find loopholes point. around that.
0: Okay. Right? I guess that's a fair point though. I mean I wasn't playing see, I understand what you're saying of banning Exporting the foreign business. Okay. I, I understand what you're saying, but all I was really focused on I wasn't focused on changing the the mode because I feel like that's Something again. Uh, also, okay. I'll see I'll see this. I think you bring up very interesting points I think economic incentive is a very good way to change business policy But I think it's something that would need that would take a lot of time take a general mindset change in the country Because as of right now people are finding loopholes with little to no taxes, and I'm not encouraging high taxes I'm not a proponent of high taxes. All I'm saying right now in the country is that the people's tax money should not be going in welfare to people that don't deserve it. I just simply believe in uh, giving the money to specific people through very specific credentials and very specific requirements and very specific checks who deserve that money truly. We can both agree on that. So that is the common place that will uh, stop for this section here. So. I guess what we'll, we'll move on to the next segment that I wanted to bring up was, kind of the the racism question of racism, the question of, you know, ethnicity, mm. identity, and politics like that. I think that's a very interesting topic and a very very relevant topic to touch on right now as we see a what could be a very monumental election. So your thoughts on the current situation this is,
1: there? This is gonna get spicy. All
0: All right. Right. I wanna I wanna be just be oh, honest sure. and don't don't be obviously you know. Oh,
1: no, so. of course. So. In the United States, historically, of course, there have been laws that were written that were just fundamentally racist. I think we can both agree on that.
0: Mm. Of course. Right?
1: Um, and of course, again, with like any law, there have always been loopholes. Now, for example, there is a very cool documentary, it's called The 13th. Have you watched
0: it? I have not watched it.
1: So it basically explains that if you look up the 13th Amendment, I'm going to look it up right now.
0: I see I'm going to have to stretch out the screen just to... Uh, okay. Uh... Just don't share your screen with it, because I don't want to have to mess up the recording and things like that. So, just go on.
1: Okay. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall be duly convicted, shall exist within the United States, or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Now, they could have just ended with... Listen. There should be no such thing as slavery, period. But they said that unless they were convicted, this creates slave labor. Now, Mm -hmm. in this documentary, which I highly recommend you watch, they basically explain how the prison systems have slave labor. They basically do. And if you want to talk about slave labor, we should definitely talk about that because it's something I'm extremely passionate about. But the. There, there are still in the United States laws that like hinder particular groups of people in the United States. And to go back to welfare, welfare disproportionately disadvantages minority communities, right? And then you also have the criminal justice system. And more on the criminal justice system, I want to say the CIA and covert, covert things that happened like you know, 60 years ago. About Reagan putting crack into communities, inner cities, yeah, uh, and you have laws that um, there's actually in the documentary talked as well. Um, how I believe if you have one ounce of cocaine, pure cocaine, you'll have the same um, how you say it, uh, same punishment, legal treatment, yeah, legal treatment, and if you if you have one hundred ounces of crack. Oh wait, no, no, no. All the way around. If you have one ounce, no, if you get one ounce of cocaine, oh, of crack cocaine, I think I get where you're going. You get the same punishment having 100 ounces of pure cocaine. Think about that for a sec. It clearly
0: exploits people. It clearly
1: exploits people who use crack cocaine, which is terrible. Because mm-hmm. again, for me, you should not be imprisoned for the use of crack. Of any drugs, as a matter of fact, you should seek rehabilitation. But that's a different subject. That's
0: punishment, no. yeah, I agree with that, that it should be recovery In over the, punishment,
1: go no, on. It, of course, rehabilitation and recovery over punishment, any day. Now, do I believe that work should be implemented into the prison system? Most, most definitely, but should they be paid properly? Should they be uh, accommodated for it properly with, you know, actual food and not be run by corporations, which is also a terrible thing. Private for prisons, people, yeah. Private prisons, which we should definitely talk about, but in the United States, we have a. I don't know because I I'm not I, I'm not of that skin color and I don't know exactly the inner inner workings of the communities. But I've seen because I don't I don't live far away from a you know poorer neighborhood. You know, seeing the effects of you know just societal movements and how people like act and how people are just treated by both the government and by police that there is something very wrong now this is not to say that i'm you know, all for defunding the police most definitely not um it's a very sensitive subject. but there, on one hand i will say i'm going to start with a counter argument that i'm side with police reason being is that they are people they are human beings too. Now there are good people and there are bad people. This is most true, and I think we can all agree on this. Now, when you say that all cops are bastards, you are, you are hurting, really hurting, good American people that are just trying to do their job, right? And. You know, and this is not to say that there are, you know, actual criminals that exploit the system and abuse their power. And I personally believe that people who do abuse their power, especially in a system like the justice system, police, anything, should be killed, honestly. Because you are you as a police officer have, have you have more power than an average citizen. You have the ability to enforce authority as you see fit and you have the potential to kill someone and get away with it. That level of power should be heavily regulated, but this is not to say that, again, there are people and they have a psyche, right? You don't know what's happening at home, right? They can be going through shit. They can go through a divorce. They can be, you know, having their own insanity. They might not even be mentally fit to be on the job. Now, this is where I come to say that we should say, not defund the police, I think we should fund them more.
0: Yep, that's exactly my point.
1: I <laughs> just said in the last podcast Go on. We should focus on the well-being and the... The psychotic
0: or quality, psychiatric...
1: No, quality of the police. That they treat everyone equally. And then they should be most definitely like saw-after as, you know, being, listen, these people can be dangerous. They shouldn't be, like, flat-out said, oh, you know, all cops are terrible, but you, every single person should say, you know what, this man, this woman, might not be able to enforce and do her job properly, and I should be aware of that. So, if we put more funding into the police, into the correct sections, and I, I agree with, and I believe that all public services should have their finances released every single year, publicly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I believe that. As, as it is taxpayer money, we as taxpayers should be able to see what we're paying for.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I believe that a substantial amount of money should go into the um, evaluation and training of police officers so that stupid shit like this doesn't happen again. And I'm of course talking about Breonna Taylor, of course I'm talking about George Floyd. Um, now, this is not to say that the other side has their own issues as well, right? From a societal point of view, my, uh, communities across all the spectrums of race and uh, skin color and ethnicities have a... Um, have a huge disrespect for authority, and you know, on one hand, it's a very American value, and I appreciate it. But you're you're pointing fingers at the wrong people. Don't point your fingers at police officers. Don't point your fingers at people who are just trying to do their jobs. Point your fingers at people above them. Point your fingers at people who are making laws that make it your life difficult. Oh, I'm so sorry. You're good. You're good. Your, point your fingers at people who are you know disadvantaging like, particular communities point your fingers at people who are making the lives of cops difficult and with it they're making the lives of the people who they are enforcing even more difficult the, I don't necessarily know the solution to what the current problem is now as of right now they don't present a plan, which I think is the biggest problem uh, with the uh, Black Lives Matter movement and the Antifa movement, is that they don't have a plan. They, like, say things, they say, let's defund the police and, like, you know, fuck everyone and everyone's terrible. Sure. All for it. You're an American, I'm an American, I agree with, you know, your ability to say that. But you can't be serious when you're presenting a policy that, like, any rational human being would be like, yeah, I don't think that's gonna, I don't think that's gonna work. Um, and apart from defund the police, I have not heard anything on mainstream media even. They're, they present an actual economic plan, and I think the finance is a big part of it because if you don't present a plan that will work in government and of course if you have anything working in government it should work on money. If you don't have something that's working, don't scream. Don't you know, don't protest. Not to say you shouldn't protest at all. But if you are going to protest, please have a plan. Please have an incentive. And please say, listen, we have an issue. That guy did it wrong. That that's wrong. This is incorrect. This is injustice. All for it. But here's how we fix it. A, B, C, and D. If the Black Lives Matter movement, and even Antifa, which I think is just you know, that's a different discussion, but if those two groups had a plan and had some sort of policy that they were willing to, you know, display to everyone and say, listen, this is how we solve the current problems we have, and it will appease both sides of the political spectrum. I think that we should talk about it. I think that their movement would gain so much more support across the country. But as of right now, all they're doing is complaining. I mean, listen, we all have the right to. They're protesting with injustices, most definitely. But they don't have a solution. They don't have a a, a viable
0: solution. I, I agree with that. I want to just kind of address your points kind of line by line as I saw them, because I do agree with a lot of them. So, at first, when it comes to race in America, I think it's 100% clear that, obviously, I don't have the same experiences that, say, an African American person does, but I think it's absolutely clear that throughout our history, we've definitely, we have not been a bastion for democracy, as we say. The Soviet Union made propaganda about us that we were not treating the... The black person, the black American, the way that they said that they would be treating every American and projecting onto them. So, that being said, I don't want to say that it is because of all white people in America. I don't want to make that argument. I wanna, I wanna. Let me just continue with my point. I wanna directly point the finger at the white nativist, and I think this group of people. The Ku Klux Klan specific senators the Kane senator obviously we learned about that in uh, in AP US these specific senators and people of political prominence they targeted everyone who was not a born American they instituted slavery they made it so that after slavery black people were still oppressed when Italians and Irish and uh, Scandinavian and German and Polish and Jewish people came to this country and various other Caucasian ethnicities and various Asian ethnicities and various African American African ethnicities. When all of them came to the country in this melting pot, you look at the 1800s, early 1900s, this same group of people struck all of them down. They called the Irish people Mix, they called the Italian people Wops, they called the Chinese people Chinks, Every, all of these terrible names came from the same group. All of this depreciation and all of this degradation came from the same group of people. That's the white nativist. That's the person that we should be looking to move at. It's not all white people. You have people like... You have him?
1: Most definitely. I'm, I'm agree
0: with you. You have people like William Lloyd Garrison who wrote newspapers in support of abolition. You have various white journalists and things like that. Let's stop focusing on the specific race of people. It's not a race issue. It's a its a mindset issue. I think it's an individual issue because there are, and I personally am one of them, that support a reform in the justice and law enforcement system that creates a, like as you said, a clear-cut coordination between the people and the law enforcement and the justice systems. Feedback on the community, being able to directly link with the, again like you said, the higher-ups that are controlling the officers down below that have you know some form of autonomy but a limited autonomy when it comes to their jurisdiction so i think it's those people i think it's that type of coming together because as you said before when george floyd had was choked out for nine seconds in a clear breach of of freedom of life you know everyone came together and fundamentally said that this was wrong you know, Republicans said, well, maybe not all Republicans. I don't want to speak for all Republicans, but a lot of conservative-minded people and obviously a majority of liberally-minded people came together at one point and said, yes, this is something that should never have, never, never have happened and never happen again. You think of Breonna Taylor as well. You think of Ahmed Arbery. I think the issue now is that Black lives are becoming a political matter. They're not becoming a humanity matter. I think. Agreed. I think law enforcement is becoming a political matter. Environmental, everything is becoming such a political matter. And we especially look at social life today. Think about it like this: Black Lives Matter. I would be in such full support of them if they were not funded by Act Blue, which is one of the largest Democrat PACs to date. Black Lives Matter should be a non-or-bi, whichever one, non-or-bipartisan organization that looks to seek compromise between both sides of the political compass to achieve what's best for black lives. increase fatherhood rates... Uh, Increasing you know education retention and things like that things that that help and benefit black people the popularity of BLM should not be flaring up during election time and it should not be flaring up only during specific incidences of clear racism like this it should be a constant and looming organization in this country I do not think it's being represented well so I could go on and critique both sides but I want to bring attention to two things one I read a book by uh, Brian Stevenson who is clearly an accredited Uh, American lawyer, happens to be a black person, that wrote a very compelling novel compiling all of the stories, all the cases that he had to construct with his legal team regarding various incidents of blatant racism in the judicial system of America. You have people that were not even related to whoever was murdered accused of murdering people for the sake of enshrining the state and being a bastion for justice, things like that. It's clear that that's a big issue, but I also don't agree with how. Uh, I'm sorry. No, I wasn't going to continue that. I was going to continue by saying that uh, a philosopher that I recently read for my philosophy class, which I love philosophy, Charles Mills. He is a racial constructivist, meaning that he believes that um, race is objective, meaning that you can believe whatever you want to believe about your own race, and that is of of course your own right. And he believes that the values of race should it should not be a definitive standard but it rather should be concept it should be a social construct which it should be Um, he said in in the beginning of his work which is uh, but but what are you really though that's one of his most popular works he said that you know I don't believe I don't blame all white people for racism I don't blame all white people for prejudice and segregation but it is clear that there has been a history of it so I think The whole idea, and I'm going to recap with this for this segment because I want to move on to prison reform and things like that that you discussed. The whole recap is that we should be coming together as a nation. But the reason that we aren't is because it hurts the pockets and the airtime of various big elite members of society prominent figures and things like that they don't want to see republicans and democrats coming together and bipartisan because that hurts media attention things like that so i think we need to as a country defy that will and come together to clearly reform our justice system and make it more a representative of our democracy it should
1: not be a what's it called it should not be a Party issue at all? Exactly. It should be something that applies to everyone. It should not be something that oh, I'm a Democrat, so I support Black Lives. Like, oh, well, I'm a Republican, so I support Blue Lives. Like no, you should be caring for the well-being of all people in the United States. Like this is not something that should be discussed and argued like this.
0: Exactly. But yeah. in these political times, even a medical crisis, crisis. I'll say it's a pandemic, like it is a pandemic. like COVID is being politicized, that there is is gridlock on the floors of Congress about stimulus checks, which should readily and easily be, be passed as immediate help is needed. It's Keynesian thought that immediate help is needed from the government during times of recession. So I want to move on now to the next point that you brought up, which you said you were very passionate about, and I'm interested in learning more about, is prison reform, the current state of private prisons. Any examples you have, your general take on that, go for it
1: um yeah funny enough it's just quite literally like, the um, the movie that i talked about earlier the 13 um it summarized it pretty well they're like the we have the highest incarceration rate in the entire world and on top of the fact that we incarcerate 25 percent of the world's peoples who are incarcerated so why is that, Like, are we all, are we as a nation fundamentally like more evil, it's like no, there is a financial incentive behind things and i like to think that all policies made off of finance it's always finance and it will forever be finance, right? private prisons, uh, if you don't give a brief overview uh, for were for because, uh, I believe, after the Nixon administration where mm-hmm. their prominence where they took people, where they got more money per prisoner, right, they, the more people that they brought in, the more money that they would get from the government. This was created a sprawling business, uh, where prisons would work <laughs> with, uh, people who make laws, and they would say, listen, we'll give you X amount of money, please make it more difficult for a particular type of people to live their normal life, and then, you know, incarceration rates exponentially skyrocketed and I also um, ties back into welfare that with uh, more implementation of welfare people had just more time to you know, I don't want to say it like that um, more people had time people relied more on crime for their um, for their income which also you know everything is interconnected I would like to say mm-hmm. um, but these private prisons made an absolute fortune off the imprisonment of people's lives and the ruining of people's lives because you know now only recently we started talking about how it should be uh rehabilitation not incarceration but back then people said you know what locking a person in a one meter by one meter cell for a particular amount of time will make them think and will make them better when they come out of it. Like, no, if you're going to trap someone in a box for three days straight, they're going to like, actually lose their mind. Mm-hmm. They they rarely provided education programs, they barely rep- they barely <laughs> provide reformation programs, and they barely provided them a way to live as soon as they left the prisons. All right, Have you ever watched Shawshank? Uh,
0: I've seen like clips of it. I haven't watched the movie, but <laughs> it's
1: such a good movie. It was a uh so basically he says the main character says at first you hate it then you love it then uh then you depend on it then after some years you become institutionalized where Mm -hmm. you cannot leave the system and you basically rely on it because the people who run these private prisons they don't give you a way out creating a system where a person will leave prison then they have no skills they have no ability to you know live on their own and they most likely will return to a life of crime and not in the same place where they started. It's destroying communities. It's destroying the lives of people and it's, it's, it's actually slowly but surely going to destroy our society as a whole and if we do not uh, actively put money into prisons, you know, for drug rehabilitation that we talked about it before, you should not be in prison for the use of drugs. This is ridiculous. But I mean, obviously they'll say, "Oh, but he was selling it." But you know, there's obviously cases where he was obviously not selling it, but he was on those drugs, but he was in prison anyway. Now, this is not to say that you know, prisons should not make money as well, because, because, because I believe in the American work ethic. My father came from the Soviet Union with $500 in his pocket luckily he made a very lavish life for himself out of his own sheer determination
0: very respectable
1: if a person does not naturally have that determination it should be instilled in them now should there be slave labor in prisons absolutely not but there should again be opportunity for people to work at a minimum wage or whatever ways they, they see fit, of course this will be regulated by what, unions or this, the, the state, again that's later thought, but prisoners should be working in these prisons jobs that are fair and with money that they can either send back to their family or use for themselves and these prisons should be teaching them skills that they can use once they are out of prison so that they're not reliant on a life of crime that got them into the same jail. Now, what would be the difference between you know my imaginary prison system and what we have now? Now, right, we have prisons that are completely unchecked, unsanitary, overcrowded, and you have people's lives that are constantly being destroyed. In my you know, utopian world, of course, people would go if they were to commit a crime. Of course, there's different levels of you know felony or misdemeanor. If they were to go to jail, they would have to receive some level of education they would have to learn some sort of trade or whatever you would like to learn. The colleges can work with them if they see fit you know, for tax relief, whatever. And by the end of it, the man or woman will come out of that prison system with an ability to make money for themselves, work experience, right? Because nobody likes to talk about that. that even if you're working in prison, you don't come out with work experience. It's actually completely negle- ne- neglected, right? Mm-hmm come out of the prison with work experience and education and the ability to make a living for themselves now with the money now of course again this comes back to working with corporations now corporations should never own a prison never ever ever but they should again provide some level of um, jobs let it be manufacturing let it be employment let it be manufacturing let it be well, bookkeeping whether it be anything on the computer that's totally there's many many jobs that can be done with you know simple hands and simple minds or intelligent minds, it doesn't matter the cooperation should, there should be a fine line between owning the people in the prison and working with companies to create stronger, more educated and socially fit people when they come out of jail mm-hmm. I will say that doing this podcast is like hard because you don't really realize that like you know you're being recorded. So you have to like watch what you say. Like, yeah, like, oh, you're talking I think, properly. So no, I, yeah, I this think, is like because I never did this something like this before. I mean, I, we always talk like privately. But, yeah,
0: I think I you know I've never really had a full on conversation with you about like prison reform and things like that. So this is kind of also a first for me, and I'm I'm just starting out. Yeah, question. Cool. I use the rest. All right, go use the restroom. We'll have a five-minute intermission here, so go ahead. All right, welcome back from whatever it is. All right, yeah. Intermission. Welcome back from that. Um, so, yeah, we've never really had a full-on prison reform conversation, um, mm-hmm. but I honestly don't really know much about it. I haven't really done a lot of the research. I know you've, you've spent a lot of time in public speaking again that I often cite as it was a very big kind of political Interest point for both of us, I think, um, that you've spent a lot of time discussing these issues. So I'll just provide a pretty basic, comprehensive theory of what I think. I I totally agree with what you're saying. That private institutions it is clear that in order to make a profit, they will not really and entirely care for the well-being of the prisoner. You just said the during man- the humanity of the prisoner. <laughs> it, yes. Yeah. So you you said. Uh, during the Nixon administration or, or after it, whatever the time frame is, that's not really relevant here. Um, that prisons, private prisons, were actually profiting from the government over mass incarcerations. And you've listed that we are the high, we have the highest incarceration rates. And I think, as you mentioned before, it it goes back to legislation and attitude in the country. As people become, as a mentality changes into more of this comfort kind of mentality, this desire to get out of the virus and to just you know smoke some pot or whatever, or do some things you know recreationally, as we change it to that mindset, I think the legislation has to change too, you know? The Constitution... Go on, wait, let me just finish. The Constitution and so many of our laws and things are like living documents, so I think they should change with our society. But back to the point, I definitely think that I'm definitely a proponent of recovery over punishment. I think that there's no point, I don't believe in the death penalty by the way, and I don't think by that logic that you do either, um... I would actually, I would correct you. Really? Interesting. Okay.
1: This is actually some of. There are certain things that um, my morals and what I believe should be law stray very differently. One of them is being the death penalty. Now, there are some people who are a flat out danger to society, and if they cannot be released back into society, and like they're, they just—they're actually a harm to other prisoners that they are being kept in. There is no again—it's very—I think very—it's uh, kind of dehumanizing. But financially, there is no reason for them to stay around. I know it's—it's it's, it, some people are just so dangerous and so detrimental to society that it's better that they were not there. Now. Who is to judge that? I don't know. It's very hard to say. And if nobody can judge it, then it's, we're better off without it. But in extreme cases, in extreme cases, I think that the death penalty should be an option.
0: Okay, so I'm going to fundamentally disagree with you here, obviously, as I suggested before. I personally think. And I have to really weigh my options carefully here because I've just kind of thrown around the punishment of just deportation, right? And making them someone else's problem. But then again, that inherently is morally wrong to just devolve your problems or dissolve your problems by making them someone else's. And if it was someone, maybe maybe not someone, just like an island or something that has no real regional government, for example, like North Sentinel Island you have, Um, That's just unethical and makes the life more painful. So I fundament the the only thing I'm gonna say is that I don't have anything set on the death penalty really, but I fundamentally disagree with I still believe that no matter how terrible and how dangerous of, of a Person that this person is that this is just again a philosophical point of view that there is still a Reason and a right to life. Unfortunately, I think that that still exists. I'd rather side on the edge of naivety than on the edge of death of death row because according to again the book Just Mercy a significant majority I believe it's 65 or 75% of people that are put on death row are later found to be innocent and you can this consul- is true and you can consult yes, the book I'm not willing to throw away life like that I'm willing to let people live that are dangerous that will be a minority that 25% I'll let them live but I would rather eliminate the 75% that have died even though their cases were unjust. So that's my personal philosophical viewpoint that. Again, so.
1: I agree with you in the sense that yes, there are a huge population that like of, of the people who died on Death row that were innocent. And again, I don't know who is to judge for it. But there are certain cases and I wanna say like for example, like terrorists. Like for if you think about it, right? It's a weird way to think about it, but like Osama bin Laden. Mm. He concluded that he was the mastermind that put the two planes into the towers. That's a very good point. And as punishment, we gave him the death penalty. We hunted him down and we killed him. What difference would it make if we brought him here and we killed him here anyway? Extreme cases. Not for someone even... I don't even believe you deserve the death penalty for murder. Because obviously...
0: There's multiple cases
1: of that. Okay. I'm saying extreme. Extreme cases. Do you know, for example, that in, um, in Somalia, right, mm-hmm. where they have the pirates, they much rather uh, encounter an American ship because, in the end, they'll still be tried fairly rather than put to uh, death you know, instantly, shot instantly by other countries. For that, I'm so grateful we have that system. Mm-hmm. But if you commit a crime against society to the point where you universally are deemed a danger, again, I'm not one to judge, because that's between that person and God, truthfully, but I don't see them being beneficial to society whatsoever,
0: apart from learning from them. Okay. I guess that's a fair a fair point that, again, and I, I believe, again, this leads into our justice system reform discussion that there should be no one that should be sentenced to death without a full and thorough investigation of, of the case. And, and in some cases, evidence comes up after. That cannot be allowed to happen, which is why I side on most cases. 99, I'd have to say, percent of the cases I'd side with life because of that percentage and because of that inherent naivety that I have. I see your point, though, that um, in some very extreme cases that, you know, what about the other, what about the victim's life? You know, that's the question that you ask when you talk about the terrible deaths of 9-11. So, I guess that's a fair, you know, ethical dilemma for the viewers to debate. Um, so, I want to move on into the last section of this, which I wanted to be, um I want it to be. Let me just consult my notes real quick. I had something else. Oh, I
1: prepared, I'm terrible.
0: prepared. In fairness, I most definitely
1: rambled on, repeated myself many, many that, times. that's fair.
0: So I want the last thing to be kind of an interesting, up in the air question: is if you were to associate with any political figure that you have, that you've known in history, alive or dead, Abe Lincoln, presidents, could be politicians, because I have a pretty decent one. Who would you who would you want to associate with? I'm sorry, I kind of my, forgot. I was just, it's late. My question, to you, my question
1: to you is, who would you associate with first, as a person from who's examined me and who doesn't necessarily have like bias? I know you're my friend, so you already have bias, but like to throw it out the window. I'm gonna I'm
0: gonna throw it. Yeah, I'm gonna unilateral. Okay. You're going to have to give me a bit to think about this, because there's a lot to consider here. I I also have to think for myself, so that's why I asked you. (laughs) So, okay. I'd have to say, and this is kind of an interesting example and not someone that you would relate with, honestly. I would have to say the English philosopher Adam Smith. And the reason I'm going to say this is because, like you, he placed a very strong emphasis on the classical liberalism, the inherent belief that the that the desires and the rights of the person should go above everyone else. And I know that's kind of a... It's cropping out a lot of different theories that you have, but I'd say that that has to be the closest person that I relate you towards. I wouldn't say modern presidents because that's, again, very... Mm, that's very politicized. So I would have to go with someone that just purely... and of resembles you the most so i would say that would have to be the english philosopher adam smith so that's what i think so i think that's it's 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 interesting i know it's not entirely accurate but i think that's the best correlation i see
1: truthfully it's a very weird case because i'm like far from what he believed in but um joseph rose tito
0: interesting okay
1: Intake, and the reason why i stay from it is that i believe that there should with any modern society, especially the way that we're progressing, authoritarianism is needed because there are so many factors that we can't even control in our own country that play a life, uh, play a part in our politics and our way of life. So, to a level I do believe in levels of authoritarianism in the economy, in justice, and in all, all ways of life. At the same time, my emphasis is to better the lives of Everyone in this country, right? I don't really care much, truthfully, for the people around me in other parts of the nation, parts of the world. Okay. They have their own problems. They need to solve them by themselves. I don't. I. I, as an American citizen, as a citizen of the United States, believe that we should come together and fix our problems together in a way that at least satisfies all of us. And there should definitely be the government's hand in helping solve these issues, which is totally, honestly, entirely possible, right? The reason why I associate with him is that like he had a huge dilemma of trying to put these ethnically different people into one big country, which if you really think about it, we have the same here. We have a nation built on immigrants, which are extremely important and which, you know, is the reason why I'm here and why you're here as well. We have to come together under one banner, and that banner is being an American citizen, or just living in America. Now, I, we didn't talk about it today, but my plans, or my ideas for how a um, illegal can be, become you know, a citizen of the United States are also very different from both the Democrat Party and the Republican Party. I have my own ideas on that, we'll talk about it on a later date, but people who live in the United States Right? Or people who come here to seek refuge in you know, the financial opportunity, and the political um, freedoms and liberty that we provide should all be treated equally. And until we are treated equally, we cannot stop. We should not rest and we must continuously fight for equality for every single person that you know, has their two feet or one foot or no feet on this soil. And if I were to be a leader of any sort, I would constantly fight for the opportunity because I don't believe in equity.
0: That's
1: not how it works. All people are different and all people will put in different amounts of work ethic and morality into what they do. But we as a modern nation to strive to provide equal opportunity for everyone in this country. I,
0: I like I like that I like the impactfulness of that. So I okay I definitely see where I was where I was more than wrong there. It's just it's very hard to put a, a name to an ideology right now that we're discussing, which is pretty much the thing is it's it's that cent, it's pretty central. Okay, go on.
1: We should not look to the past and identify ourselves with people from the past. It's, I think, very wrong to do. We have different problems, thanks. we have different what?
0: No, thanks for just totally shitting on my question. No, go on, go on, No, on
1: no it's, a, it's a very fair question, most definitely. And we obviously get all of our ideas from you know people of the past and from history and from events that occurred uh, you know, 100 years ago, 50 years ago, 10 years ago, and even yesterday. Mm-hmm. But if you want to encourage free thinking, you should not ever identify yourself with people of the past. You can take uh, influence from them. But you should never try to compare yourself with people from a different time. Because they have their own issues. They have their own set of circumstances. And they would most definitely not do what you would do in your situation.
0: I think that's a fair point to, to conclude on. So I really want to thank you for... Being on the podcast, carving time out of your very busy schedule as I know you have college commitments and external job commitments that you're talking about. So I really appreciate and really like that the fact that I could get you on this podcast and I really appreciate you accepting the offer and I'm really I'm really happy with what we've accomplished. So again I'm so happy that
1: you invited me and I'm so happy that you actually went through with your idea and I'm so happy that you gave me the opportunity to give me a platform to actually speak on my ideas, which is actually something that I have not yet made at all. So I thank you for it.
0: Alright. This a
1: good first run for me, hopefully for the future, and hopefully we will talk again on a later date.
0: I think it's definitely uh, definitely gonna happen that we're gonna have more episodes with each other. So maybe if you make a podcast, as I'm sure you're much more of an adventurous than I am, so you know, you'll you'll do something. Uh, most likely in the future with that so I'm definitely looking forward to that so thanks a lot guys and if you enjoyed this you know obviously just subscribe comment like offer your opinion in any way shape or form I really do like to listen to all of the differing viewpoints uh, that I get so totally so just you know like comment subscribe if you enjoyed this and uh, I'll see you in the next episode thanks a lot guys
1: at max all right
0: we're done enough with the plugging
1: we're done.